सहनावतु सहनो भुनक्तु सह वीर करवाहे तेजस्वीनावधीतमस्तुमाषावे ओं शाते शाति शाति ओम मे द लॉर्ड प्रोटेक्ट अस बोथ द टीचर एंड द टॉट टुगेदर मे द लॉर्ड नरिश अस बाय गिविंग अस द रिजल्ट्स ऑफ नॉलेज मे वी अटेन विगर टुगेदर मे आवर स्टडी बी इल्यूमिनेटिंग मे वी नॉट कैवेल एट ईच अदर ओम पीस 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 so we are studying the katha upanishad as you know uh, this upanishad is divided into uh, two chapters each of three sections so we are in the uh, third section of the first chapter we have almost come towards the end of the first chapter so we are doing the third section last time we did one mantra and now i'm going to the next one the third section is well known for uh, the analogy of the chariot the famous analogy in the upanishads which we will see now the chariot is is compared to us to the sentient being the body mind complex then uh, so now the second mantra yasetur ijananam aksharam brahma yatparam वर्ल्ड recapitulating whatever we saw in the earlier section the second section and the uh, of the upanishad we learned two things one is karma kanda the other one is gyana kanda basically it covers the whole of the vedic religion and indeed all of religion is sort of in within this encompassed within this what does religion consist of two things one is that um, the ultimate purpose of religion which is spirituality which is in every religion there is this concept of moksha nirvana um, you know liberation salvation the final goal of uh, of spirituality so that's the purpose of all religion ultimately religion is meant for that so i'm vivekananda puts it this way the goal of religion is to manifest the divinity already within us that's the goal of religion that's the goal of human life but suppose somebody is not ready for that yet suppose somebody says i don't understand all that it doesn't pull me doesn't attract me tell me this life which i have got how best can i live this life so religion also tells us that um, how to make this life this worldly life um, a, a more a better life how how to live it more wisely uh, how with uh, and the teachings of ethics a moral life a balanced life you can pursue your worldly goals but within the limits of ethics and decency do good karma so that you will earn what do you call it brownie points 
so that you you get a better life and uh, not only this life all religions talk about a here and a hereafter that after death we go somewhere so that also is is a good place we go to a good place that is assured by this kind of conventional religion so this conventional religion mainstream religion you will see all of it it tells us in every religion it's there it's it's basically the most common form of religion the mass form of religion which tells us how to live a wiser life in this world one might ask why isn't that enough isn't that all that there is no every religion at the core of it especially here in vedanta vedanta is the core of hinduism it tells us that this life is not enough even if you try to live well even if you live um, a decent moral life it will just be uh, a better version of what is already a bad thing that um, ultimately death will always be there you will be caught in the cycle of birth and death suffering is inevitable you may reduce it by having a lot of good karma but one cannot get out of it and finally it is disappointing and it is unsatisfying at one point we would like to um, go beyond this to attain some deep peace deep satisfaction some fulfillment we want that any mature person will want that and then comes the real religion that is the second the, the core of religion spirituality here it is put in two ways in the kathu upanishad we learn two things one is nachiketa the second boon he asked for the best kind of religious rituals because that's what he saw his parents and you know, uncles and aunts all of them they were engaged in that kind of ritualistic religion how do i get to not only a good life here but hereafter get to heaven in this uh, in this world and next world so that the best form of ritual which was taught to him was ultimately named after him by yama and it's called the nachiketa the nachiketa fire ritual so that becomes like a bridge that nachiketa fire ritual in the language of this mantra it becomes for a bridge which takes us beyond the the limited existence beyond this sorrowful uh, mundane worldly existence to the highest heaven possible to the best possible heavenly existence again impermanent impermanent it bound to come back again into this world but that's the best that can be achieved by conventional religion so that's one thing we learned but the more important thing we learned was it is possible to go beyond sorrow permanently it is possible to attain uh, infinite uh, existence infinite life infinite joy our real nature it's satchit ananda existence consciousness bliss and if we realize ourselves to be that we go beyond sorrow permanently we attain bliss we attain fulfillment permanently so that's the second thing we learned that is the core of religion or core of spirituality or sometimes i call it the lower religion and the higher religion the lower religion is the conventional religion and nothing to uh, you know mock at or look down upon because that is the mass immediately one cannot become attracted to advaita vedanta self realization enlightenment many people don't understand what exactly you guys are spending so much time and energy on what will it give you more money will it uh, ensure that your family is going to be better off than it is now uh, what are you even if it make does it make people a little more moral a better people but that's all conventional religion so conventional religion is good and it is the foundation of um, you know a moral society but this is the higher religion once people come to conventional religion 
then they look for ultimate questions you know like so by the blessings of god i am i have a good life but can i actually experience god can i see god um or yes i was um, not a good person now with the help of conventional religion i've become a moral person a decent person a good person to my family and my community i am a much better person thank thank you very much but then who am i who is this better person who is continuously struggling with a changeful world and you know everything even the good things in life also disappear finally is what is the meaning to life what is the point to all of it so such a question a question of self inquiry who am i or the question of is there god can we experience god this is these are the fundamental questions at one time even conventional religion is not enough one needs to you know face these questions and seek an answer for it then higher religion starts for us spirituality starts for us so that's what we are all engaged in here when you come to vedanta vedanta is only spirituality uh, it it's we are already transcended uh, the conventional religion transcended conventional religion again don't mistake me we have not transcended morality or ethics uh, spirituality is based on a moral life and we will see more of that now when the chariot analogy comes along but before that he says setu setu means bridge this ijana um, nam for those who are fire sacrificers conventionally religious vedic religion for them this is a bridge this nachiketa fire sacrifice is a bridge to the higher life where you attain the best possible heaven we have understood that but more importantly we have understood that there is something even greater than that the highest aksharam brahma yat param there is a reality called brahma um, which is pure being pure awareness and complete fulfill, fulfillment ananda satchit ananda param transcends transcends our senses uh, transcends time and space and transcends causality param aksharam unchanging everything else is changing even what conventional religion gives you even the highest heaven changing go there when your good karma is exhausted you come back but this brahman attainment of um, uh, liberation what is that liberation abhayam titirshatam param uh, it is the abode of fearlessness for whom those who want to cross over this samsara of um, this ocean of samsara who want to go to the further shore of this ocean of samsara they want to see it through bring the game of life to end uh, this life and death the cycle of life and death to a conclusion to escape from this vicious circle for them the the fearless state is brahman or the fearless reality abhayam is brahman these are the things that we have learned uh, in order to realize this realize which one brahman in fact in order to realize both by the nachiketa fire you'll go to the higher heaven the conventional religion that and specially enlightenment and freedom for both of these purposes especially for the second purpose for enlightenment for realizing brahman uh, for liberation now the uh, analogy of the chariot is being introduced so that will now be introduced it is called ratha kalpana ratha kalpana kalpana means imagination but technically kalpana means an example a paradigm uh, an analogy that is being introduced for what purpose for giving us a framework for practicing spiritual disciplines and realizing who we are what good does that do we realize somebody asked me um 
a couple of weeks back. All this you're doing in Vedanta, what good? I mean, suppose you become enlightened, what good does it do? What good does it do? Just think about what you are saying. When you become enlightened, what do you, what do you enlightened about what? It's not that a light bulb goes off in your head. What do you become enlightened about? You become enlightened about what you are. So, you become enlightened to the idea that you are immortal. Your body may be born and it may die, age and die. You are not born. You don't age and die. Isn't that a great gain? Yes. You are enlightened to the fact that you are complete. You are fulfilled. There's nothing in the world that you need, nothing that the world can offer that, that you need. You, you don't hanker for anything in the world. Do not go around with the begging bowl for happiness in this world. So isn't that a great gain? That's a tremendous thing. The whole mystery of life is solved. What is the reality in this universe, in this life? You realize that I am that reality. The fear of death is overcome. The hankering for little pleasures from this world, going around with a begging bowl for give me happiness, give me happiness, you know, to this world, that goes away forever. You become forever fulfilled. And over and above that, as long as you are here in this body and mind that you're still embodied, you, you have the means of overcoming suffering, physical suffering, mental or emotional suffering, even the problems will keep coming and yet you will somehow be able to, you know, like those expert surf riders, you'll be able to um, ride above the waves of those problems. Uh, so isn't this a great gain? You overcome suffering, you attain peace, um, you see that you are beyond death. What can be greater than this? So this is the use of all of this, of this pursuit we are, which we are doing. Now, um, an example will be introduced in the next few verses. The first verse, verse number three. Atmanam ratinam vidhi, shariram ratham evatu, buddhi tu sarathim vidhi, manah pragraham evaja. Know the individual self as the master of the chariot, the body as the chariot, Know the intellect as the charioteer and the mind verily as the bridle. Bridle means the reins. All right, so what's going on here? First, let's understand the chariot example and then we'll see how to apply it in spiritual practice, uh, how it will help us in enlightenment. So what is the chariot example and why a chariot? Because that was, um, you know, the coolest thing that was available at that time. Today it would be uh, SUV or Ferrari or something like that. But in those days, they went around in chariots. And chariot example is actually found not only in the Vedanta and the Upanishads, uh, it is found in Buddhism. Uh, it is found in Greek philosophy. Uh, so uh, the chariot example was pretty common in those days, although it was used in different ways. All right. So what is the chariot example like? So the chariot, uh, the chariot itself stands for the body. So this body which we have, that is the chariot. Then um, a chariot is pulled by horses. So in this body, we have sense organs. So these sense organs are compared to the horses which pull the chariot. Uh, and um, then there is a charioteer like a driver. So in this um, body, we have the intellect, buddhi. 
who is the charioteer, who is compared to the charioteer. Now, in a car, you control it with the steering wheel. But in chariots, you had the horses were yoked and you had the reins, the bridle or the reins uh, by which you would control, pull back the horses or uh, make them run. So the bridle or the, um, the reins with which the charioteer controls the horses, that's the mind, that's compared to the mind. And uh, then at the back of the chariot sits the master of the chariot, the owner of the chariot, the passenger. Just like, you know, if you have a chauffeur-driven car, uh, you sit at the back. Or nowadays in Uber or something, you know, Lyft or Uber, you sit at the back, you're the passenger. It's for you. The whole thing is going on running for you. So at the chariot, who is the passenger? It is the Atma, the self. And the self has two aspects. Right now, in identification with body and mind, it is the one who is a samsari, the jivatma, the sentient being, whom we find ourselves to be. It's a very accurate description of ourselves. Here is the, the chariot is just like, our. here is the body. And, that, and the horses which pull the chariot, here are the five senses. And then the mind with which the charioteer controls the chariot, uh, the reins with which the charioteer controls the horses, here is the mind. The mind with which the intellect, which is, who's like the charioteer, the driver, the driver controls the chariot, the intellect uh, controls the senses and the whole body with the help of the mind. This is how the, keep the example in mind. Uh, so it's just, this is a framework. It is meant to help us to understand our present situation, what we are. And uh, with the help of this framework, spiritual practices will be taught multiple levels of spiritual practices. Um, who are we? We are consciousness. We are pure consciousness. We are Atman, Brahman. But right now, we don't know that. And uh, we are in association with this whole body, mind, intellect, senses, this system. Now one might question, why are you separately talking about senses and mind and intellect? If you say body, it includes everything, right? Why are you particularly picking out the senses or the intellect or the mind? Because remember, why has this example been given? The, the example has a purpose. The purpose to help us in spiritual practice. So those aspects of our body-mind, which are going to be used for spiritual practice, they have been pointed out separately. So what's being used for spiritual practice? First important thing is the senses. The second important thing is the mind. The third important thing is the intellect. So indriya means senses, manas means mind, buddhi means uh, the intellect. These are the three things which are going to be key for our spiritual practice. Who is this all meant for the chariot? The chariot is running because there's the master of the chariot, the passenger. Chariot is not running for the sake of the horses. The horses are not pulling the chariot for the sake of the charioteer. The whole uh, Uber thing is happening because you have called it. You don't do anything. You just go and sit there. But the car is running for you. The steering wheel is being used. And the driver is driving. Everything is happening because you want to go somewhere. Similarly, here we want to attain enlightenment. That's our goal. And the chariot is going on this journey of enlightenment. Now, what is the road? The road to enlightenment. The road is the horses run on this road. What, the horses are the senses, so the road is the sense objects. So five senses, five horses. Uh, 
they run on the roads. What are the roads? The one sense goes to uh, farms. The eyes see farms. The ears hear sound. And the uh, nose smells. The tongue tastes various tastes. And the skin touches. So the five sense organs uh, have their five objects. These are the roads on which the horses run. Um, so this is the whole idea. Now the journey we are undertaking is to the realization of Brahman and to the freedom from suffering, freedom from samsara, attainment of fulfillment. That's the goal, the spiritual journey. So we are, we are imagining like a chariot is running along. Of course, the chariot is going from one place to another physically. Our goal is not to go from one place to another physically. Then what is our goal? What is our journey? Our journey is from ignorance to knowledge. From being in ignorance to becoming enlightened. That's our journey. But for this, we will need and the body, the senses, the mind and the intellect. All of these are going to be where we do our spiritual practice. Those are the locations. Those are the instruments also by which we will do our spiritual practice. All right. Now, what sort of practice is going to be taught here? What are the multiple levels of practice? The example of the chariot is again used. Uh, see, if the horses are not well trained, they will go here and there and the chariot will crash and the passenger will not reach his destination. So the horses have to be well trained. Similarly, if the reins by which the uh, charioteer holds, controls the horses. If the reins are not steady, then the, the charioteer, it's like the steering wheel which has come loose in your hands. Now you can't, unless it's a self-driving car, then you're in trouble. The driver, you're just holding the steering wheel. I heard this story about Swami Prabhavanandaji, who was the founder of the Vedanta Society of Southern California and Hollywood. So once, at one time, when he was a young Swami, he used to drive. When he stopped driving because he was involved in a big accident. So what happened was, in those days, I think 1940s or 50s, he was driving along in California, in Southern California, and then he lost control of the car. And he knew he was going to crash. So what did he do? Instead of struggling, he let go of the steering wheel. He pulled up his legs in a meditation posture, and he dove deep into meditation as the car careened off the, <laughs> went plunging up the road. And uh, finally... I think it hit a big tree and the car was totaled. Somehow he was completely safe. Nothing happened to him. Anyway, that's a terrible thing. If the steering wheel comes off in your hands or if you can't control the car anymore. So the, the reins, like the steering wheel, the reins with which the charioteer controls the horses, that must be steady and well fixed. And then the charioteer, the one who's driving you, the driver must be well informed. Where you're supposed to go. Suppose the driver doesn't know where to go. Driver is confused. GPS is not working. So then you will never reach the goal. Even if the car is, chariot is good and the horses are well trained and the reins are firm, but the driver doesn't know where he's going or driver is drunk or something. So the driver has to be very well informed, has to know what he is doing. So all three, these three conditions have to be fulfilled. Of course, the chariot also must be in a good, good shape. I mean, like the car, it has to be, there has to be enough fuel and it has to run well, well serviced and everything. The senses, uh, that is the, the horses have to be well trained. The reins have to be firm. The charioteer has to be well informed. Then what will happen? 
So I'm, I'm just quickly summarizing what we will all read. I'm just running through all of that. Then what will happen? Then the passenger will reach his goal. The passenger of the chariot will reach his goal. Now apply it to our life. What will he say now? The senses have to be trained. The mind has to be uh, steady, mindful. And the intellect has to be filled with Vedantic understanding. Then only you, the jiva, the jivatman, you will reach your goal. What is your goal? To realize, actually directly realize, aham brahmasmi, I am brahman. Then you will go beyond suffering, attain permanent bliss. So this is the whole plot I've already told you. Now we'll go a little deeper into that before I go, just read out the verses, the mantras. First level of practice. It goes without saying that health is important. The chariot must be in good shape. It shouldn't fall apart the moment you start, uh, you know, the wheels shouldn't come off or things like that. So similarly, for spiritual life, uh, physical health is important. This is an old Sanskrit saying, chariram adhya kaludharma sadhanam. The body is the first and primary means for the practice of dharma. So the health of the body, uh, it must be well, uh, you must uh, you know, eat healthy, exercise, uh, lead a balanced life, uh, don't be sleep deprived, all of that. For you are setting off on the greatest journey, spiritual journey, the greatest adventure that a human being can take. That is the whole purpose of life. And the body is meant for that. Really, the human body is not meant for making money, enjoying sense pleasures, or you know, all sorts of um, useless uh, activities which we occupy, which we fill up our lives with. That's not the purpose of the human body. The human body is here to take us on a spiritual journey. So, health is important. Swami Pavitranandaji, Ji, who was here in the Vedanta Society of uh, New York, it seems he used to say that do not abuse the horse you cannot dismount from. Uh, you cannot get down from the horse, and, but don't, don't, don't abuse, the, of course, don't abuse the horse anyway, but especially if you are on a horse and you can't get down from it. It's so easy to say, I'm not the body, not the mind. But as long as you haven't realized it, you don't see it very clearly, till that point, you have to take care of the body. Don't indulge the body, but don't um, um, destroy or damage the body also. Sometimes people neglect the body, either out of neglect or out of excessive strain and uh, you know, um, misuse or abuse of the body in the sense of too much austerities, for example. So the Buddha realized this. This is a great lesson. The middle path, the Buddha said, between austerity and luxury. Uh, overdoing austerities, Buddha nearly starved himself to death. And he found the body had become weak. The mind had become weak. It was impossible to meditate. Then you know the story, uh, Sujata, she came and gave that rice pudding and then he recovered his strength and he sat for meditation. That's the final, um, the, when he, just before he attained Bodhi, the awakening and became enlightened, became the Buddha. The Prince Siddhartha became uh, Buddha, the enlightened one. But the big lesson he learned was, uh, one of the lessons he learned was the middle path between the extremes of uh, hardship and luxury. And the beautiful example he gave was the stringed instrument, the veena. He says, if you tighten the string too much, what will happen? It will snap. If you, if you relax the strings too much, what will happen? There will be no music. So tightening the string too much is too much austerity. And relaxing the string too much is luxury, softness. 
then if you tighten it too much, what happens is health breaks down. Uh, there is exhaustion in the body-mind. Then you can't meditate. You can't do Vedantic inquiry. Nothing will work. Um, I've seen people go mad. Um, sometimes young monks, you know, novices, they are over-enthusiastic that we become enlightened within the, by this weekend or something like that. That doesn't work. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. We have been at it for lifetimes. So give it some time. Give it a few years. So, so sometimes they do excessive austerities. You know, working throughout the day, trying to meditate throughout the night. You're not ready for that yet. And then there's a physical or nervous breakdown. I have seen a few cases like that. Very sad. They're all sincere young men. But overdoing it. The opposite is also uh, is equally bad. Lazy. Uh, and that's because getting used to a comfortable, luxurious lifestyle. Then, you know, getting up early in the morning is difficult. Uh, sitting for long hours in meditation is difficult. Uh, Vedantic study is boring. Um, devotion uh, to God is not coming. It feels mechanical. But interest in the world is very much there. So that, that comes from a uh, soft or over-comfortable, a luxurious life, lazy lifestyle. Both are to be avoided. So that's the uh, at the physical level. Now, the sensory level. The senses are very powerful. Here, I just want to say, you know, why is it so difficult to change ourselves? We know the story of Krishna going to teach the villain of Mahabharata, Duryodhana, about, you know, spiritual knowledge and knowledge of dharma. And the villain, uh, the uh, villain Duryodhana, the prince, evil prince, he says, don't teach me about dharma. Don't teach me about adharma. I know what is dharma and what, what is adharma. I know what is right and what is wrong. My problem is not that. My problem is I don't want to do what is right. And I can't stop myself from doing what is wrong. Well, why don't you change it then? If you know it's right and wrong, and um, why don't you change it? He says, I can't change it. There is a great force within me, which is pushing me along this path and I can't do anything. Janami dharmam nachame pravritti. Janami adharmam nachame nivritti. Kenapi devena hirdi sthitena yatha niyojito asmi tatha karomi. Now, he's honest. He gives us this, this fundamental human um, problem. You know. Now, the question is, what is this force which, is not, which, which doesn't enable us to change or makes change uh, in our lives so difficult? It is the power of this sensory system. Recently, Jonathan Haidt, who is a psychologist who works right here in New York, I think he's in CUNY uh, City University, I think, or SUNY maybe, um, one of his early works, he tackled this problem, why change is so difficult. You know, so many wonderful books are available, seminars, and in America especially, it's very popular. Self-help is a huge, huge industry. If you go to Barnes & Noble, entire shelves will be filled with these self-help books, all sorts of things, how to meditate better, how to make friends, how to communicate better, how to lose weight, how to, what not, um, how to become the super salesman, how to be exceptionally creative, all sorts of things are promised. And they are not all wrong. Most of these books do contain quite a bit of wisdom. And now it's an academic discipline. It's called positive psychology. It's rigorously researched. It's, a, it's a, already a pretty uh, prestigious and uh, beloved branch of psychology, which is taught in many universities. And these courses are very popular. 
In fact, just today I was reading um, one of the most popular courses in Harvard Business School right now, this time, this session, is a course by Arthur Brooks uh, on uh, happiness in corporate life, how to be happy in the midst of work. And it's just every time he gives the course, it's all fully signed up. He, I attended his uh, one of his talks when he first joined. I think he, he, he had already joined Harvard Business School. Mm, yeah. I attended his talk. He's a very charismatic speaker. And uh, he is very influenced by Vedanta. And he used to come to uh, India. He said before the COVID, he used to come every year to uh, India. And he was especially interest, interested in classical Indian music. Anyway, so it's a beloved field of psychology now. There is a lot of uh, information which is very useful in positive psychology. There's no doubt about it. But why doesn't it work? Jonathan Haidt took up this question. Why doesn't it work? If it delivered as promised, our lives would have been revolutionized. But um, not that it doesn't help, but doesn't help much. So he says, imagine a man riding an elephant. So the Mahut is riding the elephant and the Mahut wants to, knows where he wants to go and he directs the elephant to take him there. But, and here is the big thing, um, it will work only if the elephant listens to the mouth. But the elephant wants to go left and the mouth wants to go right. Then the mouth can't force the elephant to go right because the elephant is much stronger than the mouth. Physically much stronger. So you can't stop the elephant. Now, that is exactly the problem with us. Our um, you know, books, Vedanta, positive psychology, um, you know, management seminars and coach, management coaches, uh, all of these, uh, they all work at the level of the intellect. You hear a nice TED talk, you read a nice book or attend a nice Vedanta class or yoga class and you, you're convinced. It's great. Yes, I should get up early before sunrise and I should do yoga or I should chant the Gita. But then what happens? What happens is the intellect has been convinced. But the elephant, what is the elephant? The uh, lower mind and the sensory system, especially the sensory system. Uh, is, it's the pranamaya kosha, annamaya kosha, uh, the physical um, uh, body and the vital body. They are not, they don't respond to books and TED talks and um, you know, Vedanta classes. They are like the elephant. So you're convinced. I want to jump out of bed tomorrow early in the morning. I'm going to change my life. I'm going to lead a monk-like meditative life. Next morning, what happens? When it's time to jump out of bed, suddenly you don't feel like doing it. You want to do it, but the body rebels. The body says, I didn't sign up for this. You go, oh intellect, uh, you are convinced. You go and do yoga and you do meditation. I'm going to sleep under the covers. It's the, you see, this is a problem. It's the intellect which understands things, which makes decisions, but the work, actual work has to be done by the body. And the poor body says, you didn't ask me whether I, I want to get up in the cold morning out of, from under the bed sheets and do your silly yoga exercises. And uh, no, I'd rather be much comfortable sleeping here. I'm tired, let me sleep. So the body, the sensory system is like the elephant. And the intellect uh, is like the Mahut. The Mahut cannot convince. The Mahut is convinced by uh, 
you know, lectures, you know, intellect understands, but lectures and books, but the sensory system is not convinced. You can't give it a lecture. You can't give the elephant a lecture. The elephant is not interested in your lectures. So what happens, like Duryodhan said, the, the villain in Mahabharata said, there's a force within me. I understand. See, the Mahut is convinced that what is right and what is wrong, I get it. But at no point am I interested. So the desire which is coming, not there. Actual actions, they are not following what is right and not avoiding what is wrong. That is the elephant is not responding. The elephant is going its own way. He says there is a force. Yes, there is a force. And interestingly, Jonathan Hyde points it out. Why doesn't it work? Because the body is like, our personality is like mouth and elephant. It's not a machine. It's not a computer. You give a command to a machine, a machine will execute it. You have a command to a computer, computer will execute it. Whatever the CPU says to the rest of the computer, computer will do it. But we, our body does not work like that. Our senses do not work like that. Why not? Our senses rebel, our mind rebels, our emotions rebel. Why? Because he points out, it's because our intelligence is actually distributed. These systems have their own autonomous intelligence. And he shows, actually, even neuroscience supports that. You know, when we say gut feeling, actually it is true. The gut actually has a lot of nerve endings and the, the nerve centers there. Um, so our sense organs, whether it's the tongue or the skin, there are vast amounts of neurons, which are the connectivity is there. And a lot of mental energy, uh, nervous energy is channeled through that. It is not easy. It's a huge, it's a subtle force, but it's a huge force and compared to which the intellect is a very weak thing. And this has to be uh, tackled. If it's not tackled, we'll be like Duryodhan saying, I know what's right and wrong. I don't feel like it. See, this is a very big thing. I may decide, this is the way I'm going to lead my life. This is when I will get up. This is how much I will meditate. This is how much I will repeat the name of the, of the Lord, the mantra japa. What happens? No enthusiasm is there. The feeling does not come. The excitement does not come. Why? Because the intellect is not in charge of your emotions. Emotions are connected to the lower mind and they're controlled by our vasanas and our tendencies. So what can be done? Think again, what does the elephant respond to? Elephant does not respond to lectures, books, classes, persuasion. No, the elephant responds to training. What, do the, what does the mouth do with the elephant? Training. And training basically means repetition. The core of training is repetition, not arguments, not logic, repetition. Our character is formed by a cluster of habits and habits are formed by repetition. The senses can be trained. We can clearly see some people are so disciplined, some are not so disciplined. That means the senses can be trained. It, is, it can be pretty easy to wake up at 4 a.m. in the morning. It can be. It can be intolerable to sleep beyond 4 a.m. I've seen so many uh, our monastic brothers who have lived in, uh, you know, in, the, in those, they trained themselves in the ashrams. I've seen a monk, once I was in the hospital, and I was a novice. I was sick. I was very sick. I was on the IV. And uh, I thought, so I'm very sick. I can be excused for not getting up early in the morning and meditating tomorrow on the bed. So I lay down, uh, and in the early in the morning, I saw there was this old monk, more than 80 years old. He just had an operation. Next morning, it was dark. 
in the hospital ward, I saw him sit up on his bed and face the wall, ramrod straight, for two, more than two hours straight and deep, deep meditation. That was a lesson to me. How does he manage it? It's, it's a lifetime's practice. It's a lifetime's practice. It's not a decision. Even I want to do that. But he wants to do it and he can do it. I want to do it and immediately make excuses. I'm too sick to do it now. So I won't do it now. Uh, so that comes from, uh, uh, from practice. What is so difficult without practice, pretty easy with practice. It becomes natural, becomes like second thought with practice. With practice, habits, clusters of habits are formed or habits can be changed with repetition. And now there is a huge amount of work in positive psychology to show how habits work and how habits can be changed. Power of habit, Charles Duhigg. There's a huge big bestseller which shows you how habits work and how they can be short-circuited and changed and to your advantage. Um, so the senses have to be trained. Uh, what they should, which road they should run on, what the eyes should see, what they should not see, what the ears should hear, what they should not hear. To cultivate the tastes, they all have their autonomous intelligence. You can cultivate. Then what happens is what is good for us that the senses will want. Instead of looking at uh, the latest in gossip and news, it will want to read Vedanta books. So the senses can be trained up that way. The, the wanting will come then from within. It will become a habit then. And character is nothing but a cluster of habits. All these habits taken together, good habits taken together, go to form our character. All right. One point here, a couple of points. First of all, this is what is was meant by Shreya and Preya. In the earlier section, there's a big deal about what is good for us and what is pleasant. So what is pleasant for us, an untrained elephant goes that way, where the bananas are. So the elephant will go and try to snatch the bananas. The trained elephant will not do that. Similarly, if the pleasant and the good are come, they present themselves uh, all the time, moment to moment, it is the trained senses which will automatically pick up what is good and avoid the pleasant. The untrained senses will automatically run, run to what is pleasant. The eyes will want to see what they like to see. The ears will want to hear what they want to hear. And want to hear means, what do they want to hear? We want to hear our praise, for example. We also want to hear our criticism. We are very worried about what people are saying about us. Maybe more than praise. We are very happy with the moment. We are happy with praise. We will be very troubled by criticism. Senses, the trained senses will be not interested in your praise, will not be interested in your, your um, uh, in criticism also. I remember walking with a very senior monk in the ashram where I joined the order. One day, the usual path in which we were walking, the senior monk suddenly said, let's take the other path. And we switched paths. And I asked, why didn't you go down that path? He said, there was this group of students standing and I overheard they were uh, talking about me. I don't want to hear. So immediately, he changed the path. Now see, I would have wanted to hear, oh, what are they saying about me? Surely something good, or maybe even, even more important, something bad? Oh God, what are they saying about me? No, he doesn't want to hear. Um, once, I remember, all right, let it be. It's, uh, 
Okay, without telling the names, I can tell. When I was a, a novice, I learned a very big lesson in my monastic life. In the first few weeks or months, I heard a monk criticizing the head of our ashram. I was so troubled by, by it because I felt the head of our ashram, the senior monk, was so, such a saintly person. So I told another senior monk, and that monk was furious. Oh, is this what he's going around saying? We must immediately go and tell the head, the head monk about this. So he took me there. I wasn't willing to go and tell the head monk about these things. But anyway, I couldn't help it now. It was the cat was out of the bag. So he said to me, tell him what you heard. And I said, Swami, that Swami was saying about you. I had gone up to that and immediately the head monk stopped me right there. said, I don't want to hear another word. If he's criticizing, then it is your fault. Why did you listen? I was so stunned. And then he said, is this why you have come to become a monk? Never do that again. Never, um, uh, you know, like repeat criticisms of somebody to an another person. Don't, don't hear it and don't repeat it. Certainly not. Don't repeat it back to anybody else. Never. And luckily, the other senior monk came to my defense. He said, oh, the boy didn't want to say anything. I, I actually uh, asked him to come and say. And then he motioned me, get out of here, quick, quick. You know, like, you don't never know. On, on this fault, you can be thrown out of the monastery also. And I was a newcomer. But it was a great lesson to me. And so I learned never to do that again in my life. Um, what the ear wants to hear? What the tongue wants to eat? Delicious food or healthy food? What uh, the skin wants to touch? The nose wants to smell? Especially hear, hearing and uh, so, so delighted about reading the newspaper. The same delight is not there in reading Vedanta texts. Why not? It has not been trained. The mind and the senses have not been trained. The trained mind and senses will take you on the right path, on the, uh, the path which is the good, Shreya, and will automatically, habitually avoid the path which is pleasant and leads away from your goal. And what's wrong with picking the pleasant path? Often the pleasant path does not take you towards your goal. So that's the problem. Um, so training of the senses, that's the first stage. The second stage is, even the training of the senses will not work until that which controls the senses. What is that? The mind. The problem with the mind is attention. Attention must be trained. We, especially in this day and age, huge, huge problem. And lack of focus, lack of concentration, the flickering mind. So the mind must be trained to uh, attend. Uh, we must be able to direct our attention to what we want. To, I want to focus on Vedanta. I want to focus on the object of meditation. I want to follow the breath. I want to repeat the mantra mindfully. I can't. My mind goes here and there. It's like the reins of the chariot, which are uh, loose and which are, not, uh, which are not responsive. Then how can the charioteer control the senses? So the mind has to be mindful. Literally, that's the word you will see used in the Upanishad. Samanaska, mindful. Now you see how important mindfulness is. And it's especially relevant now, just now, the pioneer in mindfulness in the West, uh, the Vietnamese monk, Thich Nhat Hanh, he passed away just a few weeks ago. He was the one who really kick-started the whole mindfulness movement with his classic book, The Miracle of Mindfulness. Those of you who have not read it, please do read it. It's not very expensive, a slim volume. He's written many books afterwards, and now, of course, there's a huge literature on mindfulness, but the original classic is good enough. 
uh, we just read that much it's a practice for all of us whether you're buddhist hindu whatever you practice mindfulness is important it is the reins with which you control the body mind system the body and the senses the reins are the mind and the mind has to be mindful mindful means training of attention otherwise nothing will work no amount of philosophy will work um, it's the it's the mindful um, in the mind which is mindful then only it can translate all your goals all your uh, projects into actual life so mindfulness mindful mind then more inward more important the charioteer the driver has to be well informed about where you are going the, the intellect has to be very clear what is my goal in life my goal is moksha liberation going beyond sorrow what buddha wanted what vivekananda wanted i want that too i must be very clear i mean i may not tell anybody else but that's my goal enlightenment nothing short of that that is the human goal so the mind uh, has to be very the intellect has to be very clear about this buddhi the intellect has to be very clear this is my goal this is what is to be done the senses are to be trained the mind has to be mindful um, and i must be steady on the path of vedanta to realize i am brahman what am i why am i like this how am i brahman all this must be understood by the intellect that is intellect must be filled with vedantic understanding then only the intellect filled with vedantic understanding the mind which is mindful and the senses which are well trained the senses become like trained horses the uh, mindful mind is like the reins firmly in the hand of a informed charioteer which is equal to the uh, vedantic intellect then the master of the chariot the passenger of the chariot will reach his goal the goal from which there is no return that is moksha liberation salvation the realization of the unlimited um, brahman in the language of the upanishad the state of vishnu the transcendent state of vishnu that is the spiritual journey now i will read the verses the mantras and we'll see we have done mantra number 3 then mantra number 4 so mantra number 3 told us that um, uh, the body is the chariot and uh, you are the passenger in the chariot the intellect is the driver and the mind is the reins and uh, then the next words mantra number 4 indriyani hayan aho विषयांस्तेषु गोचरन् आत्मेन्द्रिय मनो युक्तम् भोक्तेत्याहुर्मनीषिन दे कॉल द ऑर्गन्स द हॉर्सेस द ऑर्गन्स हैविंग बीन इमेजिन्ड एज हॉर्सेस दे नो द ऑब्जेक्ट्स एज द रोड्स द ऑब्जेक्ट्स ऑफ द ऑर्गन्स आर द रोड्स द डिस्क्रिमिनेटिंग पीपल कॉल दैट सेल्फ द एन्जॉयर व्हेन इट इज एसोसिएटेड विद बॉडी ऑर्गन्स एंड माइंड एन्जॉयर मींस द द द जीवात्मा अस the sentient being in sanskrit bhokta you the pure consciousness in association with intellect what do you become you become the knower in association with um, the mind you become the thinker in association with the um, senses you become the seer and the hearer and the touch so like that the 
all the functions you are the one who is experiencing it all it's called bhokta you experience experience pleasure and pain you the consciousness in association with intellect mind and senses then the spiritual journey importance of training the senses mind and intellect uh, training the senses um, focusing the mind and informing the intellect or educating the intellect number 5 yastva vigyanavan bhavati ayuktena manasa sada tasindriyani avashyani dushtashva ivasarathe but the organs of that intellect which being ever associated with an uncontrolled mind becomes devoid of discrimination are truly are unruly like the vicious horses of the charioteer so disastrous the uh, intellect loses its discrimination it's it may have read vedanta but now nothing comes to mind and gets swept away swept away why the mind is not focused and the sense organs are running wild like uh, says like wicked horses like the vicious horses which are untrained what the senses want the mind is pulling you along in that direction the reins like the, sense, the, the horses are running are being pulled along in that direction and the intellect which is supposed to tell us no this is not going to take us to our goal the intellect also says it's all right uh, i can uh, do it this time uh, next time we will we will uh, take a different path so intellect also gives in so there is a sanskrit saying about this um kinkarasya kinkarehi kinkarikritaha ahaha alas by the servant of my servants i have been made a servant i the sentient being the jivatma sitting in this um, um, chariot body mind chariot so the the intellect is my servant the mind is the servant of the intellect and the senses are the servant of the mind but i have now become the servant of the senses eyes want to see that and everything else runs after that mind and consciousness and uh, intellect all run in service of the eyes to provide what the eyes want the tongue wants to taste that and we run after that and this is how life is going on from one thing to another thing um, the senses are running after their objects the mind is unfocused flickering from one thing to another the intellect is busy not with vedanta with endless projects one thing after another endless useless projects which it thinks it will make it make us happy no one thing to another we are going from one thing to another time is passing uh, age is coming on death is ever coming closer and we are no closer to the goal of enlightenment then number 6 yastu vigyanavan bhavati yukte na manasa sada tasindriyani vashyani sadashva ivasarathe in contrast what is the situation for a spiritual seeker a good vedanta student but of that intellect which being ever associated with restrained mind is endowed with discrimination the organs are controllable like the good horses of the charioteer the organs are controlled because they are well trained the mind is focused and the intellect is filled with vedantic discrimination or this discernment what is vedantic discernment remember viveka the eternal and the non eternal there is a goal of human life which is enlightenment god brahman whatever you call it there is a high glorious purpose to human life that's what i am chasing and the mind should fall in line with that the senses should fall in line with that 
so that moment to moment we can take the right decision. Then number seven, what is the result of um, trained um, senses, focused mind and uh, educated intellect? And what is the result of the uneducated intellect and unfocused mind and untrained senses? Yastva vijjanavan bhavati amanaska sadashuchi nasatat padamapnoti samsaram chadigachati. But he, that master of the chariot, does not attain that goal. Through that intellect, who being associated with a non discriminating intellect and an uncontrollable mind, is ever impure and he attains worldly uh, existence. So the senses are ever running to impure ends just for sense enjoyment. And I know that those are not, not what I should be doing. Like Duryodhana, I know that is wrong and yet the senses are running there. The mind is flickering and the intellect is, this Vedantic knowledge is shaky and it is uh, unable to resist the power of the uh, senses and the mind. See, what happens is the intellect, the more subtle it is, more powerful. Who is more powerful than the senses? Mind. Because mind controls the senses. Who is more powerful than the mind? Intellect. Mm. But in most cases, if they are not controlled and if they are not trained, what will happen is the sensory system is so powerful, it overcomes, overcomes the mind. It takes over the mind. The mind is filled with sensory desires. And that mind filled with sensory desires leads the intellect astray. Leads the intellect astray means there may be information in the intellect. Inform intellect may know this is my goal. This is right. This will take me towards my goal. That will take me away from my goal. And yet the intellect is helpless. It is pulled along. I can't resist. That is the lament of every addict. I can't resist. I want to, but I am helpless. One more point. Just additional point here. Elephant and the Mahut. Remember, not everybody has the same elephant. Some elephants are much more easily trained and some are very difficult to train. What is the difference between the elephants? It is the constitution of our um, mind. Uh, it, our senses, mind, our samskaras. Some have a more sattvic personality, less of rajas and tamas. That is more conducive to spiritual life. Some have a more rajasic personality, they have all the enthusiasm, but they are not steady in their enthusiasm. They take up one thing after another and jump on from one, you know, one goal to another goal. And then some have a primarily tamasic uh, constitu uh, constituent of the mind, of the personality. Um, and there, neither enthusiasm is there, nor discipline is there. But the sattvic person, the, Krishna says in the Gita, samanvita, is endowed with uh, determination, grit, and enthusiasm. So jumps into spiritual life because I love to meditate. I love to study Vedanta. I'm filled with devotion for Krishna or for my Devata, And I love to do good to others, to serve others. That feeling is there. That liking is there. And the disciplined life is there. Uh, so that, is, that shows a sattvic personality. That person has a good elephant, easily trained. Others' elephant may not be so easily trained. Where do we get these elephants from? We, we have, we have uh, earned it in many lives, many past lives. So it's no good if my constituent, my uh, makeup is uh, tamasic, then spiritual life is not possible for me. 
this discussion will come later on no it is possible for everybody but one must be a little honest and look into our own constitution the constituents the constitution of my mind and sensory system my samskaras and be honest and admit to myself where i am then the discussion is there later on in the gita um, where the three gunas are talked about it's only this that the point is that if you have a sattvic constitution your uh, spiritual life will be easier smoother faster if you have a rajasic or tamasic constitu- uh, constitution then the struggle will be that much more it will take more time and more struggle that's all spiritual life is possible for everybody and one should embark on that journey the moment you are inspired to do so doesn't matter what kind of elephant you have been issued <laughs> then so this person does not attain that goal natat padam apnoti but what happens samsaram chadi gachati continues to be whirled around in samsara from birth to birth this person goes around because this person is just following one's own desires if that person is a decent moral that person will lead a religious moral life life and have a better kind of samsara if the person is completely uncontrolled then the person will have a terrible kind of samsara hellish kind of one life to another then next eight yastu vigyanavan bhavati samanaska sadashuchi satu tatpadam apnoti yasmad bhuyo na jayate that master of the chariot however who is associated with a discriminating intellect and being endowed with a controlled mind is ever pure attains that goal from which he is not born again this is the result for a person who has trained the senses um who has focused the mind and filled the intellect with vedantic understanding that person will become enlightened and uh, realize the goal then number 9 vigyana sarathir yastu manah pragrahavan nara sodhvana paramapnoti tadvishno paramam padam the glorious verse which tells us what will he attain what goal is attained the man however who has as his charioteer a discriminating intellect and who has under control the reins of the mind attains the end of the road and that is the highest place of vishnu tad vishnu paramam padam that the highest place of vishnu is basically realization of your own nature shankaracharya says that it is the realization that the all pervading brahman which is the supreme self supreme self means your own supreme self you you are that reality that you will realize it's not a physical journey that not that you go in a chariot from a place to place all right now the core secret of how to deploy vedantic knowledge to focus the mind and control the senses and that will be taken up next few mantras are very vital the whole the, the secret of the chariot will be um, revealed to us that we will take up next time now let me quickly look at the questions can you recommend a text with the sanskrit commentary of shankaracharya yes the atupanishads has the english translational sanskrit commentary and if you want the original sanskrit commentary uh, i always use the gita press version when there are nine upanishads here uh, which uh, including the katha upanishad so you have it's like this 
So mantra is there, and then the Hindi translation, and then there is uh, the original Sanskrit text of the commentary by Shankaracharya, and uh, the Hindi translation of the commentary. So if Hindi is not um, difficult for you, you can always read the English translation. And in all the regional languages in India, these are now translated. There are very good Bengali translations of Shankara's commentary. I know that. Rick says, please explain the mechanics of how a Nachiketa fire sacrifice or any such thing would earn heaven for a person. Does it somehow neutralize their karma? How? Does it help the devas so that they reward you with heaven? How? Well, it doesn't really concern us. It is Vedic ritualism, the karma kanda of the Vedas. These are prescribed. They work by generating very good karma, very good merit. The offerings are, the devas are nourished by these offerings, they say, and you earn great merit. And by that merit, you go to heaven. So that's the basic idea of Vedic sacrifices. There are certain rituals. Um, and the, what is the authority? Why, does, why do you think it would work? The Vedas are the authority. Isn't that faith? Yes, that's faith, definitely. As against that is what we are studying in the Upanishads, which are knowledge based on understanding. Patrick says, is the word self a good translation for Atman? What does it mean literally in Sanskrit? Um, self, like Brahman is vast, Atman means self. Literally, it means a self. But then, so Atman could stand for many things. In Vedanta, of course, ultimately Atman stands for pure consciousness, awareness, consciousness. But the Atman is used in many senses. If you refer to the body as the self, here is the, here is the self. Then the body is the Atman. Often you will find in Upanishads, body is called Atma. Mind is called the Atman. And finally, uh, consciousness, the real Atman is called the Atman. So Atman just means a self. And it could be used in other ways also. What is the self, the Atman of, uh, of a clay pot? It's clay. What is the Atman of, um, uh, of a gold ornament? It is gold. Shubhra Mukherjee says, does buddhi and dhi shakti have the same meaning? Dhi shakti and medha, these are spiritual developments of the buddhi. Buddhi is generally intellect. By the way, this is an interesting thing to note. The uh, senses, the, the, the chariot, the uh, horses, the reins, and the, the charioteer. Notice, they are actually talking about the Annamaya Kosha, Pranamaya Kosha, Manomaya Kosha, Vijnanamaya Kosha. The, the chariot is compared to the physical body, which is the Annamaya Kosha, the food sheath. The senses are one component of the, the horses are compared to the senses, which is one component of the pranamaya kosha. Um, actually, the, later on, if you see Vedanta, the senses are counted in the manomaya or vijnanamaya kosha because they give uh, knowledge. But you can uh, take the pranamaya kosha there. So, and then uh, beyond that is the mind, the manomaya kosha, that is compared to the reins. And then the intellect, the driver, is compared to the buddhi, the intellect. That is Vijnanamaya Kosha. So now you know what kind of teaching will be given. It's a kind of proto-pancha kosha vivek, the analysis of the five sheets of the human personality to distinguish, to find out who is the, the who we really are, apart from body-mind, apart from these five um, uh, sheets. 
Tamiko Shea says, how can a person whose intellect buddhi is compromised still attain enlightenment? Such a person with dementia and a coma or with a mental impairment? No, not possible. If the person is already enlightened, that person will not be affected by the damage of body, mind, intellect. But if not enlightened, if I'm mixed up with body, mind, and if there's dementia or coma, either I will recover and then carry on with the samsara life or not recover and die. And then next life, when I get a fresh body, again, I'll pick up where I left off uh, with the damaged equipment. If the horses are not, um, if the horses are lazy, if the reins are loose, if the uh, driver is unconscious, you can't get to your destination. And that's why good health is necessary. But we have endless opportunities. If, if not in this life, then in next life. And nothing is lost. Uh, Deepa says, mana and buddhi are mentioned. How about chitta and ahankara? They are included. You will see interestingly in Vedanta Sara, uh, the division of mana, buddhi, chitta, ahankara, mind, intellect, memory and ego. And then they say it can be divided into two where they are grouped together. Um, mind and memory are in one and ego and intellect in another group. So you can, they are implied sort of. Good. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tatsat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanamastu